When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Dalton in a pistol formation, and now it looks like Cincinnati will shift. He's in the shotgun with Bernard to his left. Three receivers stretched out to the right. Dalton back to throw. He's going to fire deep downfield for A.J. Green. He's got it. (laughs) Touchdown. 29 yards away. Beauty. Andy Dalton to Adriel Jeremiah Green. Yeah, that's right. We're starting Purple Daily today with a highlight from the Cincinnati Bengals. Matthew Collar and Sage Rosenfels here on Purple Daily. We've got a lot to get to. We've got hot routes in the next segment. We've got a mock to analyze. And also, uh, I feel like the cookie monster Jeff waiting for Vikings moves to happen. So we'll talk about all that. But, Sage, do you know why we played a Cincinnati Bengals highlight to start the show? Because you watch completely random things and do very random things, and you reminisce about things that happened 10, 15, and 20 years ago a lot, and you decided to go watch some old Bengals film. For whatever reason, I have no idea why, and we're going to talk about some Bengals today, and they do have, of course, the first pick in the draft. Okay, so you're very close. You're very close. Uh, The reason that I wanted to play a Bengals highlight is because I decided to go back and watch Hard Knocks from 2013, where the Cincinnati Bengals were featured, including Mike Zimmer, just before he got the job with the Vikings. And I don't know exactly what I was looking for. I just decided, you know what, I've never actually watched this top to bottom, and I've seen maybe a scene or two of Mike Zimmer, but I'd love to see more about his behind-the-scenes coaching style, how he's managing the uh, the meeting rooms and things like that, and how they feature him in this in this piece of hard knocks. And then, of course, you know, there's a lot of stories that now you know how they turned out. So they're showing this guy or that guy, and you could go back and say, what did happen to him? What happened to his career? thought it might be fun. But what keeps coming to mind with the Cincinnati Bengals team from 2013 is two things. Number one, how much pressure was on the coaching staff at that point to get farther and do better than they had the previous two years. But also... The Cincinnati Bengals' trajectory in, say, 2011 to 2015, or maybe 2010, yeah, probably 2011. Marvin Lewis is the coach for a long time, but their most recent 
trajectory of being a successful and competitive team had about a five or six year run of being competitive. And then they fell off the face of the earth and went six wins, seven wins, six wins. And now they're drafting first overall. And well, 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 they actually even had almost two. You know, Marvin Lewis had this extremely long run. Mm-hmm. Probably wasn't talked about all that much, just because Cincinnati is such a small market. But uh, and you know, he didn't have any uh, you know uh, championship games or Super Bowls or anything like that. So it's, it's rare for a coach to be there. Was it fifteen years or thirteen years or something like that? And in, in, in one spot, but they, I feel like they had two runs. They had the Carson yes. Palmer, Chad Ochocinco, yep, yep. T.J. Hushmanzada, uh-huh. uh, you know those guys. That sort of era in which they were pretty dang competitive and and were in the playoffs. And man, those there were some great games against the Steelers and and the Ravens, and they were right in that hunt. They were one of those good teams. And then they had this other stretch that you're talking about in which mm-hmm. Mike Zimmer was the defensive coordinator and they were a very, very good football team. Well, I'm glad that you brought that up because what keeps coming to mind for me, and it was from 2003 to 2018 with Marvin Lewis, and what keeps coming to mind for me is that the first time with Marvin Lewis, like you mentioned, they draft Carson Palmer at the top of the draft. He turns out to be a terrific quarterback. They have the 11-5 and season where Palmer, is that the one where he gets hurt? or No, it's the 10-6 and where he gets hurt against the uh, Steelers in 2009. And then, I, th- I think, I'll have to get it exactly right, but he gets hurt against the Steelers, and he misses the rest of the game. They lose to the Steelers, and that was kind of their year. And then it falls off after that. And then they have to build it back up again around Andy Dalton and with you know a bunch of other very talented players, including AJ Green. But their defense is just freaking stacked at this, this point on that on this football team yeah, that Mike Zimmer's coaching. Yes. On, yes, on the 2013 team, their offense is great. Their defense is stacked, and they end up that season with a plus 125 point differential, which would have been one of the tops in the NFL this year. So this is a great football team, but. For five straight years, they lost in the wild card round, so they didn't achieve what they were supposed to achieve. And eventually, time came up for them. And then they ended up with three just hideous seasons from 2016 to 2018. Ultimately, uh, ends up costing Marvin Lewis's job. And so I guess I, what's coming to mind for me, Sage, is the Vikings, with where they are right now, can go one of two ways. They can go the first Marvin Lewis way, which is to hit some bumps along the road, but bounce back and be highly competitive again pretty quickly. Or they could go the other way and have years where they're just slogging in mediocrity or straight-up badness because you only get so much time at the top before all those great players that we're talking about end up leaving. Like Marvin Jones ends up leaving. He's turned out to be a great player there. Mohamed Sanu leaves, and the defense falls apart eventually. And I, and I guess I, I want to know which direction we think is more likely for this Vikings team and for Mike Zimmer in the front office. Well, we, we definitely know we're all, we are on the other side of this window that we're talking about because they had so many good young players. Some of them were high draft picks. Some of them were a little bit lower draft picks. You know, guys like Everson was Everson the fourth rounder, I think. Um, and, and they had this window. Well, we're, we know we're on the other side of it because guys are gone. Guys like Everson are gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, Linville is gone. That means the window has shut. Good defenses, they rebuilt. Uh, you know, good defenses have to have two things. They have to have good coaching, and they have to have good players. And in this coaching staff, and, and I really do think Spielman, over the course of his long time as a GM, 
I do think Rick and the people underneath him, again, you know, George Payton and obviously Studball, uh, who's not, who's retired now, but uh, that they have found really good athletes on defense consistently. They just have. They have a good eye for it. I don't know exactly what they're looking for. I'm not a scout, but they are looking for, for some tangible things as defensive players. Uh, you know, it's a different sport than, in a sense than offense, playing defenses. It almost is like a different sport uh, and, and, and what you're asked to do and, and what the responsibilities are of various positions. And, but over the years, Rick has done a very good job of getting good, in particular, D-lineman athletes, I feel like, and pass rushers. You know, Jason Taylor was, you know, uh, he, I don't think he was there when he drafted him, but, you know, he was one of those guys and the Zach Thomases. And we had a lot of really good players on defense that they found, uh, uh, you know, back in the day. Um, but then, you know, the, the windows would shut. Those guys would get older. And, and the question is, can you get, you know, another set of guys? And, but I will say this, this front office has done a pretty consistent job year in and year out of getting good athletes on defense, uh, in particular as pass rushers and things like that. So I'm looking through the draft history of the Bengals, and this is also what I'm getting at with the Vikings and what they need to make sure that it doesn't happen, that they fall off the edge of the earth. And a lot of it is just draft luck. And you're right that they have done a great job overall. There's certainly busts mixed in like your Laquan Treadwells of the program, but you also have way more hits than misses overall for would you the, say for they've the missed more? Would you say they've missed more on offense uh, of what you've seen? You know, I'm, hmm. I'm not sure. Just necessarily Zimmer's era, but just going back, uh, you know, this because we have had a situation where the general manager has been here for a long time, yeah. and you, know, yeah. you, you, you do have a record there of how well guys do, you know, and, and that goes beyond various coaching staffs. And so you think it all sort of equals out. Some coaching staffs are better offensively, some are a little bit better defensively. Uh, but I feel like they've probably missed, as you brought Laquan Treadwell, um, uh, they've probably missed more on the offensive side than the defensive side. I'm not sure. I'd love to you know, maybe go back and do some sort of breakdown at some point. But for the most part, they've done a pretty good job of finding really good college football players on defense mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and sometimes in the lower rounds, guys like uh, you know that aren't you know first-round top you know whatever picks because they rarely have those top picks. But those Spiel- Spielman's teams have consistently had pretty dang good defenses over the years. Yeah, and they've been able to develop undrafted players. I mean, Adam Thielen is far from the only one. Anthony Harris is another great example of being an undrafted player who becomes a legit star, not just somebody who's filling a role who you're trying to replace, but someone who is a star player and leading the NFL in interceptions. That's not easy to do. Developing Everson Griffin during the Zimmer era is a huge, huge accomplishment. So finding those and, defensive and players. And by the way, Everson's an unusual, you know, I, he got in trouble a couple times, I believe, in college. Yeah. I, was yep. it DUI maybe or so? Um, and and there's various reasons why he did drop. I mean, he went to USC and, and all these things, but he does have a different body type as a defensive end. He's shorter. He's a little yep. stockier. He's not Jared Allen. He doesn't have that crazy length that Jared had. He's really powerful, though, and, and they found a way to see, you know, the, to, to realize, like, you don't have to be one type of defensive ends. There's different ways to to be a great pass rusher slash run defender, all those types of things, and I think, again, they, they've done a really good job over the years, whether it's guys they've drafted pretty high, uh, but also they found a, a lot of diamonds in the rough that end up being, you know, really, really good NFL players. Well, what's interesting about looking through the Bengals draft history and sort of comparing it to the Vikings draft history is you can go through, maybe you start in 2010, 
for example, and you start looking through and you find players like Jermaine Gresham, Carlos Dunlap, Geno Atkins, and then keep going forward, A.J. Green, Drake Kirkpatrick, Kevin Zeitler's a great player, Mohamed Sanu and Marvin Jones in the same draft, which, by the way, this is what I want the Vikings to do, take two receivers in the middle rounds, and then Tyler Eifert, Giovanni Bernard, like good players, good players, good players, and eventually they just don't have the same luck. Like Jake Fisher becomes a bust, uh, they draft another tackle who becomes a bust. So imagine drafting two tackles with your first two picks, and they both fall apart, right? And then, well, and, and everyone has those. But you know, the thing about the Bengals is when they they're almost always one of the cheapest teams in the league. They I don't know what the numbers are of most of, of recent years, but it just feels like over the, they've always been one of the teams that has some of the most salary cap rooms. That means a couple things. Either they're missing on their guys, but we're, we're talking about they've had a lot of hits over the years, or they're just decide not to re-sign their guys unless they get really good deals and they don't have to break the bank and, and all those type of things. And so they sort of go cheap, uh, and it gives them a lot of salary cap space, but it's also got them a lot of losses because – uh, you know, they might have some good players, but they don't. They don't always sign back because they they know that just over time they'll make a lot more money playing for for other franchises and not the Bengals. Yeah, no, and that's right. They are not able to sign players back usually at the same rate that the Minnesota Vikings are. But I think what has largely determined, like Marvin Lewis didn't forget how to coach all of a sudden and go 6-10 and ten, uh, after being good, just like he didn't forget how to coach in a couple of four-win seasons that he had along the first rebuild up. Uh, it, it largely could be pointed to your draft luck ran out. And over the last couple of years, I mean, they draft John Ross with the first pick, ninth overall. To this date, he has 49 receptions in the NFL after being drafted in 2017. I mean, when you have those go bust and the two tackles in 2015 go bust, that's what makes it extremely difficult. And like you said, they can't fill it out the same way the Vikings can with free agents. But I think that what we're looking at here going into this draft is, even though a lot of it is luck, if they do not hit on this particular draft, that could determine where we go in the future, whether we go way up and they're right back into being relevant very quickly within two years back into Super Bowl contention, or whether we're talking about, hey, what happened to that team? They used to be good, and now they're 7-9 and nine every year. Well, and, and we go off of last year, and we had a little bit of this conversation last year talking about the positions that they needed. We knew they needed like a second tight end. Uh, to, to be a weapon, and, and I think they got a really good deal on that in the, in the second round with a guy who seems like he's going to be a good athlete in the passing game, but a, a, a very good run blocker as well. So um, the thing, and, and but we, you look back at last year's draft, and uh, you know they have some starters there, obviously with the with the first round pick, Bad Bradbury started the entire season, and, mm-hmm. and uh, they had some other guys obviously uh, uh, play and play pretty well. So they had a pretty good draft, I thought, last year as far as getting guys in. You know, if Kyle Rudolph wasn't here, Irv Smith would be a starter. He'd yeah. be a starter yep. in this league. He is a starting tight in this league. So that, to me, like they drafted a starter in that spot. This year, what we know, at least as of right now, they need four starters, I think is what the number that you and I uh, you know keep talking about. Um, and, of course, um, it's hard to go to draft going, yeah, we're going to have four starters this year. My rookie year, Rod Gardner started uh, with, with Washington as a wide receiver, uh, and Fred Smoot, and that was it. Nobody Fred else Smoot. started. You know, I, I would, We didn't have a third rounder. I was the fourth rounder. 
fifth, sixth, seventh rounders, and, and nobody started, and, and everybody, uh, you know, was, you know, either the guys that didn't dress and those types of things. Well, this team actually does need four starters. It's, it's, you usually don't get four starters in one draft. Yeah, no, that's right. And expecting four players with to no come off in. Season. Yeah, it, with right. no offseason. Totally. And that's why the expectations for this season should be fairly tempered. But I guess what I wonder is if we think that there's a second wind here, potentially, or not. Because there either is or there isn't, right? With Mike Zimmer and with Rick Spielman. And I agree with you on the front office. When you just go talent for talent, I I will see people tweet me sometimes, you know, fire Spielman, he didn't draft this correct guard or or tackle or whatever. And and we can nitpick away, uh, for sure. But on the whole, you've built a very competitive roster. Is Rick the best GM in the NFL? Probably not, right? There's only one one of those guys, right? So... Uh, but is he better than a lot of the other ones? He, absolutely. This team rarely goes, well, it's sort of an empty cupboard here. Man, this this coaching staff has to come in. There's just not much talent on that football team. They don't have many. When I went to the Houston, Texas in 2006, and Gary Kubiak, first-year head coach, they had gone 2-14 and 14 the year before. I didn't know anybody on the team <laughs> other than Derek, uh, or not Derek, David Carr, who was the quarterback, and Andre Johnson. That's honestly, I really didn't even know the got the names of a lot of the other players. We, we had Dunta Robinson, who was like a you know a top ten pick maybe the year before, uh, seventh pick or something like that. But I just that was it. Like there was, they just didn't have uh, guys with experience. They didn't have guys that I had seen in big games on other teams. It was just um, uh, an empty cupboard for for real. I remember I remember Coach Kubiak saying. In the off season, sometime or maybe it was a couple years later. I think it was a couple years later. We had gone six, six and ten that first year, his year there. Uh, and I remember him saying to me, "I can't believe we won six games. Like, how did we win six games two years ago?" They, they, we truly, we drafted a, uh, we had a fifth round running back that ran like a, maybe a four six five or I mean he was very he was not fast. Wally Lundy, good like sort of does everything, but he definitely was not fast, and he was our starting tailback like compared to what teams have now as far in Dalvin Cook, right? I mean, yeah. holy cow, what a difference. So anyway, long story short, I, I think I think Rick Spielman has done uh, a, a very good job of consistently refilling that cupboard sort of year after year, and some teams are better than others, and there's injuries, and there's guys that don't work out, and there's also, like, bad coaching. Like, you know, if you get an offensive lineman and you don't really have great offensive line coach development, guy that's a real development guy, uh, and maybe you get a player that's more raw, uh, or you get a player from the you know again like a school like Iowa who is not raw and sort of ready to go. Like there's all these things that you can and can't control, and I think from all, more often than not, he's done a pretty good job of uh, of drafting players, in particular on that defensive line. Yeah, I think what happens this year will really determine whether there's a second wind for this front office and this coaching staff or not, because if they go. Six and ten, or five and eleven, which I, I don't really foresee, but it is. But you get one or two injuries on a roster that's so thin, and then you're there, right? Um, then I could see them saying, you know what, we're going to have to go forward with somebody else. But if you take a roster that has been sort of shredded apart a little bit, and you fill it in with some draft picks, and other draft picks take big steps forward that you made bets on, like Garrett Bradbury, like Irv Smith. 
then you're looking like, hey, we had a we had a backup plan that was ready when these guys left, and we can sustain our competitiveness. If they win ten games this year, then I think that you're making a case for this coach and this front office to stay together. And if you don't, it's kind of a big swing year, almost like it was in 2016 for the Bengals when they lost a bunch of their talent, and then all of a sudden they went six nine and one, and you got the sense, okay, this thing's going to need a lot more work, or we're going to need to hit on some draft picks. And it also just speaks to how the NFL works, if you draft in the lower 20s all the time, then it's harder to get those top-end talents who can rebuild your roster, and that's why we always see someone go first to worst. Uh, I have a couple more questions for I, you. I, by the way, I, I do think, as you, you call it a swing year, I can see that. You know, yeah. uh, When they went to the championship, championship game in 2017, we knew this team was talented. Yeah. Uh, I think the, 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 the issue with 2018, I think they very much hired the wrong offensive coordinator, and it didn't fit uh, the, the style of football team that they had. And I thought they sort of uh, – they, they won on the low end of what their talent was. I thought, you know, on the low end, that's an eight-win yes, football team. I agree. They won eight games, right? Yeah. I, I thought that was a 10 or 11-win uh, football team at least. Um, still from the year before. Because they – you know, Case played really well that year, but it wasn't like he was, you know, f- first-team all-pro uh, all or something like that. You know, they, they won it as a very good football team uh, under expectations in 2018. And I think 2019, you know, probably around where the talent that they have. You know, I think they're a 10-6 sort of talent football team. and, and uh, But this year, with those openings and, and uh, sort of the question marks that are still there as we now get into the middle of April – I think that this, you know, it could be one of those teams that's not just eight and eight to ten and six or eleven and five. That if things don't go right, uh, it, it could be one of those teams that wins, you know, five or six football team football games, which is unusual for the Minnesota Vikings. Deciding how to look at last year, whether ten and six, I picked them to go ten and six at the beginning of the season, and then they did. So, which I'm usually not good at, but. So yeah, I was right on expectations preseason, but as the but when season you are, along, you'll tell us about it. Yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> but as the uh, don't worry though, I always work it into hot routes for me to tell everyone when I was wrong too. So okay, uh, okay. in fact, that's a hot route coming up next. Um, us being wrong about something, but um, I, the losses that they had were so crushing to their chances to go to the Super Bowl that it made it hard because they could have won those games. Like the Week 16 against the Packers, Week 4 against Chicago, just complete no-shows in those games on offense. And Kansas City, too. You're playing Matt Moore. You should win that game. It's not Patrick Mahomes. And, and so the fact that you could have been one of those 13-3 and three teams and you weren't um, makes it a disappointing season. Even though you get the win in New Orleans, that was great, but you really crushed your own chances to win the Super Bowl with three complete offensive no-shows with a team that was fully capable of succeeding on offense in those games and just didn't execute. Uh, well, the did, thing is, good quarterback play. You know, and now we are, is it this year we're starting the only one playoff team? Is that going on? Yeah, yeah, right yeah. yeah. That, right? So that'll that'll really before, change things. The two teams that got buys, and as history will tell you, Having that buy, either being a one or a two seed, is so big on getting to the Super Bowl. Almost every single team in the last eight years or so has has had that first round buy, and it's just really, really hard. That means you have to win twelve games, eleven at the worst, but yep. usually twelve, yep. thirteen. I mean, man, the Patriots went eleven and five and didn't make the playoffs that one time with Matt Castle, but. You have to win 12, 13 games. That is so hard to do, mm-hmm. and it's really hard to do if you don't have a great quarterback. Yep. 
It just is. Or, or or even like a Lamar Jackson who I know he was the MVP and he had a great year, but he does something so unique and so hard to defend, mm-hmm. uh, which opens up the pa- – it, it hurts it so hard for a defense. You do something super special. Or it's like a defense that's just crazy good. You know, um, you have to have something really special on your football team, and this Vikings team doesn't look like it has anything super special on it other than maybe Dalvin Cook. I think he's the, mm-hmm. the special. Uh, aspect, sort of like the Adrian Peterson years when he was a, a special aspect of those Vikings teams. But it's just hard to win 12 or 13 games. Okay, so that's a great observation about having being able to do something at a completely special level that can get you there. So how can they draft this year to, to be special in some area? Like, should it be hey, draft two corners at 22 and 25 and hope they both hit? I mean, the Packers did that a couple years ago. And one of them hit, and the other one is a bust. And, you know, so it's sort of worked out for them, but sort of not. Or, you know, do you draft two offensive linemen? Or do you draft the best receiver available? Do you trade up for someone that you hope is a is a top-end talent and can take you there? I mean, this draft, to me, is the swing. We know the coach can coach, and we know the quarterback can get you to 500, and we know that the rest of the roster know, has talent. We know the offensive coach is going to be. It's going to be well right. put together. That's right. It's going to be consistent. Who can um, make you special? Yeah, yeah. I think you know Gary does a really nice job, and that style of football too. By the way, of uh, a good defensive coach and a good offensive coach that have both of it sort of grinded out styles. Um, those just win you at the minimum like eight, nine games a year. You know, right. you're just in a lot of football games. You win the close ones. Um, you know, they're very detailed. Uh, it's the, it's hard to be like one of those super high-scoring up-and-down teams unless you have, again, like a Pat Mahomes or somebody like that. So um, they do have a style that is uh, fairly very consistent and win, just wins games in general. All right, so I've got some other questions relating to hot routes that I need you to answer that only someone who has played on an NFL team would have had this experience. But I haven't watched Hard Knocks ever, like episodes one through five or six or how many they do. I haven't watched doing it. That. For, I haven't watched it in forever. And I, I feel like I remember when the Bengals were the Hard Knocks team that I felt like they got it because nobody else wanted it. And the <laughs> Bengals were like, well, like we always could use, you know, some, some yeah, better branding, pump. you know, like they, they, they need to be, uh, you know, nobody outside of Cincinnati really cares about the Bengals. And so, you know, now of course we're looking back on it, but I remember at the time, cause a lot of teams don't want to have hard knocks. They, they, just, they yeah, don't want to have yeah. that distraction, you yep. know, the distraction, blah, blah, blah. They don't want to have all that, you know, stuff in your team. And some people look, worse than others and you know who wants to cut a player on national television i mean that's just uh, a, a crappy thing to do to tell somebody they're fired basically and quasi lie to them like yeah we're gonna probably sign you back you, you know it never happens you know? right like, <laughs> okay um, so we're gonna but, we're gonna uh, switch anyway. gears uh, when we come back because i was gonna do hot routes and maybe you've prepared and i'm sorry but i have i have some questions about hard knocks and just being an nfl player that i want you to answer and then we got to look at a todd mcshay mock so, so that's the way we're going to go when we return. You're listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. Hey there, it's Phil Mackey for Federated Mutual Insurance Company. And Federated is here to give business owners out there peace of mind. You pour your life and energy into a business, and the last thing you want is for something to happen that puts you on the defense, and that's where Federated comes in. Based in Owatonna, Minnesota, over a century of experience in standing behind business owners. If you're a business owner and you want some more peace of mind, Go to federatedinsurance.com to find out more about your local federated marketing representative. Federated Insurance, it's their business to protect yours. 
Jonathan here with the Score North Download. You can join Score North as we partner with the Ronald McDonald House Charities Upper Midwest to help make sure our area children continue to receive the meals and care that they need during the coronavirus pandemic. Thanks to Louisa Rise and the Minnesota Twins, one lucky person who makes a, do- makes a donation of any amount will receive a signed Louisa Rise Minnesota Twins jersey. Your contribution enables the Ronald McDonald House Charities Upper Midwest to continue to provide critical services to families dealing with a child's health crisis. To donate, please visit scorenorth.com keyword donate. Also over at scorenorth.com right now, Matthew Collar has the first two parts in a five-part series listing the Viking, the best Vikings draft fits based on, if I can pull up the right article here, based on their playing style, production, NFL combine results, and realistic possibilities of being selected. The first two positions in his articles or in his five-part series are cornerbacks and offensive line. Those articles are all for free over at scorenorth.com and the free Scorenorth mobile app. That's been your Scorenorth download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you, Jonathan. All right, Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels back here, and I've been watching Hard Knocks from 2013 because what else are we going to do on the weekend? And I did it while playing Ken Griffey Jr. Slugfest for N64. Why not? What else are we doing in this world? And also writing those articles that uh, Jonathan mentioned. That's basically it is a time. My it life. is a time to be productive. By the way, like there is, uh, I I try. I'm trying to take that approach of being productive in things I don't normally do, rather than just sitting around and watching Netflix all day. So I'm not sure what's going on at your place, but I'm trying to be productive. <laughs> Been sitting around watching Netflix all day and old football. Uh, well, you know. I, you never know when you're going to learn something. And uh, when I pick things at random that involve football, every time, whether it's in a football life documentary, an old game, or hard knocks, I learn something that I didn't know or something comes to mind that I could apply to the Vikings and, and just learn from a little bit in some way or another, or that I think is just great, and I'm glad that I watched it. And so I wanted to ask you about a few things about being inside of a team uh, that Hard Knock sort of touches on that I wonder about your experience. Now, one of them is James Harrison is featured in this thing. And one thing I enjoy about watching the how they feature James Harrison is he wants nothing to do with Hard Knocks. He wants nothing to do with the cameras. He's trying to hide away from them in the most part. But they really feature the outrageous work ethic and how terrifying James Harrison is to be around. Like, he's joking around with Jay Gruden at one point about you know, making sure he doesn't injure their wide receivers. And he's like, yeah, but I'm going to hit him if he comes into my area. And Jay Gruden's like, maybe you couldn't, but I'm not going to tell you really strongly not to because you're really scary. Did you play against James Harrison at all? Uh, I, yeah, I'm sure I did um, over the years. Um yeah, but he possibly. I can't. You know, that, that's a good question because he, you know, he, had, he also played for the Steelers, correct? Yeah, yeah. mostly um, with the Steelers. Mostly with the Steelers, right? So, um, you know, that, that's a good that, that's a good question. I don't know if I played against him. I'll but, see if I can you know, find it. But, but he's he's one of those guys, and there's a lot. Of, but there are a lot of guys. I mean, there's a lot of NFL players uh, on defense. You look over, like, man, that is a scary individual. <laughs> they just are, they're just solid muscle. Um, they just, you know, they're they're looking for for vicious contact, um, and uh, and he was, you know, obviously one of those football players. He was old school, a, a small school guy. Um, I, was he not drafted or like low drafted? I think he was undrafted. Yeah, because the undrafted. linebackers coach gives a speech. And he's like, look at that guy over in the corner. James Harrison. He was undrafted. Now he's one of the best players in the NFL because he, you know, he sort of 
I know he played like outside linebacker, but he was really more of a pass rushing defensive yeah. end. Yeah. So he was one of those weird tweeners, and he didn't meet all the standards uh, standards of what you're sort of looking for in like a pass rush defensive end or linebacker. You know, he was he was that inner, you know, the, the, the tweener thing, and I think that always that grew him. And he probably again had it just to go to college and have to go to a small school and not get recruited by the biggest schools in the country. You know, he's had that chip on his shoulder since he was 18. And, you know, Zach Thomas was a player I played at that was sort of similar mm-hmm. in a sense, uh, different position, but too short and too this and too slow. And uh, But he was really, really good at something and had such an incredible work ethic and that chip on his shoulder. Uh, uh, you know, even again, like not going to Texas or Texas A&M ends up going to Texas Tech, the smaller of, uh, of all those schools. And he had that from college, and he had that at the NFL, and he still had it. And he had it, you know, sort of throughout. And at some point you realize maybe the best thing that they have that makes them a great player is that chip. Mm-hmm. And so then they just keep it. And then they, you know, the last thing that they would want was to be, it would be not like a blue collar player. Uh, I think one of those guys, so that's probably why they avoid the spotlight because they just know that has not worked well for them to be like a try to get the spotlight type of player. They are true old school, true work ethic. Uh, it's very serious. And, and, you know, football is not a game for boys, it's a, it's a game for men. So I, I can't find where you would have played against him, but uh, who is the most intimidating player on defense that you ever played against? Because there's a couple games you played against the Ravens. Some that didn't go so well. Uh, Ray Lewis is over there. Terrell Suggs is over there. Ed Reed. Um, I mean, who was there? Somebody that you watched film on the week before, and you're like, "Do I really? Do I really have to?" Um, yeah, you know, Ray Lewis didn't. He, I, I can't say he didn't scare me per se. People have asked me that because I do have a couple starts, you know, versus them. Uh, Terrell Suggs was one of those guys. I was like, "Man, look at that guy over there." Uh, um, Dwight Freeney, you know, again, he wasn't super tall, but you just know how explosive and, uh, and powerful he was and how much, you know, like, so there were certain guys, you know, defensive ends, D linemen, uh, they used to, uh, what, 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 I'm trying to think of the guy's name. What was the D lineman for the, um, the, the Titans that end up going to the, to Washington in, um, in the, in the big botched $100 million contract? Albert Hainsworth. Albert Hainsworth, yeah. okay, so Albert Hainsworth is, you know, in his third or fourth season, Titans defensive line, and we're I'm with the Texans, and, and we're backed up on our own, like, 10-yard line, and and uh, uh, it's like early fourth quarter or something, and I'm looking over there, and Hainsworth is just staring at me, <laughs> like, with this, like, I'm going to kill you look to, to myself, and I was like, what's up, Albert? Just sort of, like, made a comment to him. Mike Flanagan, our center, longtime Packers center, he pulls me in the huddle and is like, hey, do not piss him off. Like we we help him off on the pile. We're not cutting them. You know, like we're trying not to anger the monster right. because when Albert right. Hainsworth was really upset, um, uh, he was like impossible for anyone to block, much less like a twelve-year center who was, you know, looked like he had barely worked out in his life, which was which was Mike Flanagan. So. You know, there are certain guys that when they were uh, uh, so talented and so big and fast and strong, but when when they were motivated, a guy like Hainsworth, man, that was uh, that was a scary person to have to to see on the other side of the football. Yeah, uh, what did he go at? Like six six three fifty, maybe, uh, and he was something fast like that. Too. But yeah. just you know what I call country strong. I, he may have never lifted a weight in his life, but yeah. he was just an extremely strong human, and, and uh, you don't want to to anger. Uh, uh, you know the players like that. They can they, they they can hurt you very easily. So there's another great moment in Hard Knocks 
2013, which we're breaking down now, uh, where Marvin Lewis takes the film of Ben Jarvis Green Ellis. He was a running back, if you don't remember. And the TV cameras at training camp caught him on the owner's golf cart. And then as Ben Jarvis Green Ellis gets off the golf cart, he pats Mike Brown on the, or is he the president or the owner, whatever it is. Mike Brown's the owner. Yeah, the owner. Okay, that's right. And uh, so he... Uh, pats him on the knee as he's getting off. And Marvin Lewis slowed down the tape and circled the knee pat and played it over and over and over again. And, of course, the entire room is laughing hysterically. Like, do you have any stories like that where either you got called out or you remember someone getting called out? Um, because I, th- I felt it was like a great moment for team bonding to just make fun of a guy and everyone's laughing and, and there's so much pressure going on that you've got to take some time to just have fun with stuff like that. And I... I, I thought it was not only hilarious, but also like a, a great coaching moment. Well, I, I think those moments happen every single day in the NFL. Um, they they do. There's there's constant, uh, you know, small jokes being uh, that occur between players and coaches and players and players and players and you know owners and just things like that. Like you know, in particular, like in the off season or during training camp when. Uh, you know, there's less pressure, obviously, every single day. Uh, you know, what's interesting is that the NFL almost, uh, the coaches, they have to schedule fun time. That's why they have, like, you know, the rookies have to sing. You have to, yeah. to schedule in actually having fun. So, but that's why when guys are done playing, you know, as players and probably coaches too, um, they miss, that's one of the things they miss. Of yeah. course, it's the games and the money and all these other things, but, you know, uh, it's, it's, you know, hanging out with like high school friends sometimes it's mm-hmm. you, you make fun of each other uh guys are really funny there's a ton of great personalities um that you guys that that, that people never hear about you know we we see the personalities of like uh you know i'm thinking back like an ocho cinco you know mm-hmm. somebody that's just great in the camera there's tons of those guys but they're just not great players they're just barely on the team and sure. so you see it in practice and you see it in the locker room sometimes a little bit and the team just loves them but the, the cameras never actually get to those guys. Those, to me, uh, there was a whole bunch of places. We had a kid when I was in Houston, a wide receiver, and he grew up in New Orleans. He grew up in the streets, like legitimately, uh, you know, basically homeless grew up. And he was a street kid. He was a street kid performer, you know, one of those kids that you see doing flips down hmm. the sidewalk yeah, yeah. Uh, on Bourbon Street. That was him. Um, and so he would do that stuff in practice sometimes or in the warm-up line, or, and he could rap also. Uh, you know, those types of guys that you know, people never hear about, but those are sometimes the best personalities of a football team. And they're important because, you know, football is not easy. It's not fun per se. Those types of the personalities, and whether it's in the locker room or in the stretching lines and things like that, that's uh, uh, a lot of times you get the best uh, of of, you know, of who players are and the fun aspects of the game. And that's what's one of the things that's worth watching Hard Knocks back for is that they f- often find ways to feature guys like that. Uh, there's a player on the Bengals who is from Estonia, so they're you know all asking him questions about what happens in Estonia, and you know the, somebody asks him, "Are the girls hot in Estonia?" and he says. Uh, uh, yeah, but not in Greece or something. You know, it's just like little funny moments like that that they capture that gives us a, a little bit of insight. Something I else. I think, by the way, one, one of the te- why the teams are, are prefer not to have hard knocks in a lot of ways is because um, let's just say we're in a stretching line and a player decides to start rapping or do do something hilarious mm-hmm. that the whole team just loves. Yeah. 
Well, if you know all the hard knock cameras are there, you know they're also doing it for the cameras. And it brings out like those guys, which are sort of annoying. You know what I mean? The people that are always looking for the camera. And I think coaches know that those types of moments, it's a lot better when they're, and players are more free to do them when there aren't all those cameras around. And, and that creates chemistry that maybe hard knocks uh, uh, prevents sometimes with that show. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's right. That, and Mike Zimmer actually talked about how he didn't, mind it and he didn't mind the players personalities being featured but i could see where you know sometimes you'd rather just kind of keep that to yourself in in the team element of it and not have the entire world analyzing your personality through the tv um but i'm I'm glad they have it because it gives you insight that you would never get including another thing that stuck out to me which was that andy dalton flossed before every game because he said he didn't want to be on tv and have something in his teeth so did you have any weird rituals like that um, not that. Uh, <laughs> you didn't. You didn't think to, about that. You didn't. No. I, you know, I had a thing. You know, you have to wear long socks in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And I always thought I had. Uh, small, well, in particular, my right calf is slightly smaller than my left calf because I had an ankle <laughs> injury in college, oh. and so my right calf, just for some reason, is not quite. Anyway, so like I had a thing where I didn't want to have skinny ankles. Like you, want, you, you don't have a football quarterback with skinny ankles, right? And, I guess and not. So I would always wear with the long socks. I would usually wear a pair, if not even a, another pair, of socks. Uh, uh, like sort of, so, and then of course I'd fold those down if you or, or whatever, bring those down. And it would create like the wrinkles, and I would look like I have bigger, I guess, ankles than I had. <laughs> that was probably the only like vain thing that I can remember really doing. I also would eye black all the games just because I, yeah, it lo- I thought yeah. it looked better. Like you got to put eye black on, right? I don't even know if it works. I guess but, like, so. I, I don't think it does I, I love putting eye black on. It's like it's part of the look. And there is an aspect of being a backup quarterback where you have to sort of look the part. Like, look yeah. at that guy. Yeah. That's a that's a veteran backup quarterback right there. Right. So there's there's a whole aspect of the whole thing. But you know, you, you, you don't you definitely want to have a skinny ankles as a football. Now you player. wore the visor on the sideline, right? It de- well, it depends on the teams. You know, the visor was a thing for a while. Yeah. Plus, they played for Spurrier, so like you wore visors all the time. You know, I, I got to the point where I occasionally I, I I'm trying to think. I think it was in Miami, maybe Houston, where I started just having a uh, um, a hat in like my back pocket for for a little bit or whatever because that's like what Doug Flutie would do. <laughs> he just because you want he, as soon as you have the helmet, you got to put that hat on because it's so sunny all the time. Uh, there's you know various things that you sort of go through over the years, but you know. There, by the way, there are some ugly hats that the NFL puts oh, yeah. out. I'll tell you that. And there's usually have a, a two or three to sort of choose from, and usually two of them are pretty dang bad. I can't believe people actually <laughs> buy them. And there's times also where, where teams will, as the season goes, they like will enter midseason. They'll introduce another hat, or they'll have some special hat for some reason. And usually it's really ugly, so I just make sure I like keeping a hat from like three games ago, uh, and, and and not switch over to the hat you're supposed to wear. So. Uh, yeah, you have to choose your hat wisely, and I try to I try to choose one and keep that same one for the entire season. That's great. It's a, it's another hard knocks observation. Just that um, there's a lot of care put into how the players want to present themselves. You know, even Deion just, Sanders. You know, he has a he has like a long history or a, sort of a, a people know the story that he actually would lay his clothes out with his shoes, socks, pants, jersey, helmet, gloves. He would lay it all out on the floor and then put it on like piece by piece that way. Um, <laughs> and yeah, he I, had I, the do-rag, I've seen other, I, I saw other players actually do that as well. He also had, he had one of the coolest face masks. 
Uh, do you get to select your own face mask, or do they just sort of say, like, you're taking this one? You do get to select your own face mask, but you're limited usually based off of your position. And obviously, as quarterbacks, you know, there's certain face masks that are sort of meant for quarterbacks. And right. there's all these different restrictions of them. And um, But, uh, you know, basically for a quarterback, you have, for the most part, I would say, well, the, the, the face masks have all changed now with these new helmets. But back in the day, you sort of had either it was a one bar at the bottom with sort of two across the middle that people sometimes put their, like, mouthpiece in, or it's more of a one uh, on the bottom and, and just one across uh, with the two ones going up and down, and, and that was pretty much it. So I'm, I remember when I first got in the league, though, that some of those old kickers uh, I still had that <laughs> single, single bar. bar. Yep. <laughs> and they were sort of grand. They, they made that illegal, but then the guys that had it, they, they couldn't take that from them, so they're grandfathered in. And for I don't know if it was uh, with his player or I feel I feel like it was like an Arizona Cardinals kicker had one. Maybe Kevin Butler. Know, Gary, yeah, I, the guys had them for yeah uh, well into my career. I just yep. it was so weird to see that single bar. You know, it's so dangerous to be completely uncovered in your face. Yeah, no, that's it's insane. But uh, even barefoot kickers lasted into the late '80s and maybe a little bit into the early '90s. So there's there's some weird things that went on with the kickers then and they did not like now they look like athletes most of them but those guys a lot of them did not so um, it's a, it's a fine skill and you don't have to be a great athlete as we all know with golfers you don't have to be or even sometimes baseball players you don't have to be a great athlete to, to be great at a fine skill and, and kicking a pint is but you know the the uh, punters that i've seen over the years have just gotten bigger and bigger i mean it seemed like at the end of my career a lot of the punters that we had were six three six four mm-hmm. you know 230 200 matt turk was like 245 pounds we had this huge he's huge into lifting weights and you know the the more juice you have the more power you have all those things it, it definitely helps those guys but it is the fine skill of the drop or the kick and, and, and those types of things. Before we wrap up for the day with your hour, Sage, would you like to look at a mock draft? Let's do it. All right. So Todd McShay put out his sort of post-free agency mock draft, and he did rounds one and two. So naturally, to start it off, Joe Burrow is going number one. Chase Young is number two. That's what you're going to see pretty much everywhere. And in his mock a lot of the top receivers are going high, and the top offensive linemen are going high. So he's got Tristan Wirfs going eighth overall. He's got uh, Jedrick Wills Jr., the tackle from Alabama, going tenth. These are guys that if they drop to the Vikings, they would love to have. C.D. Lamb goes twelfth. Henry Ruggs goes thirteenth. So he's laying it out there like, guess what, guys? You're not getting some of these top talents. C.J. Henderson, the cornerback from Florida at 17th. So we get down to the Vikings, and he has them selecting Justin Jefferson, who's a wide receiver out of LSU. And what's interesting about Justin Jefferson is his production with Joe Burrow was outrageous. He had over 100 catches. Almost every single one of them were as a slot receiver. And I wanted to ask you, Sage, what you think of the slot receiver position in a Kubiak offense, because often you're using two wide receivers and two tight ends or two running backs. And I don't know if a slot wide receiver is the perfect fit for a Kubiak offense. Well, they need a slot receiver. I mean, they need both. They need an outside guy and an inside guy. So mm-hmm. I guess they would. this would take um, the plate. You know, it, it, would, it would fill one of the holes, I, I think. And, yes, you prefer to have an outside guy. They really need to have one of those big, you know, they don't really have a huge red zone threat, obviously. Adams getting the red zone, but on the other side of that, that they, they could use a, a you know a bigger guy, and slot guys aren't quite as good in those spots. So just like you know, throw the fade on third down, mm-hmm. and they stack the box and all the blitz and 
and things like that. But uh, uh, you know, he's put up obviously th- those big numbers, and and uh, you know, the Vikings do need a wide receiver. Um, and I think a lot of people do have him as a either you know mid to late first rounder to at, at the very worst early second rounder. And the Vikings need and they'll be they'll be a receiver or two there that they like more than others. And and uh, and my guess is that you know in in one of these first couple of picks, that's what they they, they will take. I, I would like to think they take a wide receiver. Yeah, it, there's so many different positions that they need at the moment that if they took a corner here instead or if they take a tackle here instead you can't really argue with it they kind of have to go best player on the board and more likely than not it's filling a position i just wondered about that with jefferson but a lot of teams are using you know like tight splits and things like that that even if the guy's not technically a slot he's still inside and has a two-way go which i think is something that you want from him um, but well, let's look at you know San Francisco. By the way, a similar offense, right? They don't have they have guys that are explosive, uh, uh, good you know uh, run after the catch that mm-hmm. have speed, but they don't really have like big outside guys, right? Uh, you know, yeah. on that football team, and and their offense was pretty dang good last year. So um, I, I think it's more about you know are they, uh, is he a playmaker? Uh, is he does he have the quickness? You know, being a receiver, it's not just about being fast. Uh, it's about being quick, and uh, can you get separation? That's you know against Stephon Diggs, he wasn't a guy that was drafted super high. He didn't have those super. Uh, you know, you probably look at him as more of a slot guy. He right. Being yeah. Both a great slot guy and a great outside receiver. Yeah, that's right. He developed into one of the best outside receivers in the league. When I looked back at his initial scouting reports, and a lot of them say, "Well, you know, it's hard to draft a guy this high if he's going to be a slot receiver," and uh, he's the opposite of that. Now, with the twenty-fifth pick, speaking of Diggs. McShay has the Vikings selecting Trayvon Diggs, Stefan's brother, and I have been of the mind, Sage, that if you avoid a top prospect corner because it's uncomfortable that you traded his brother, that's just a that's just a bad move. Like you should still be selecting him because it's a business and you're gonna pay him, right? Like come in and, and be great. You would think so, but you know, they they may have some I don't know what I call them sour grapes, but just sort of a, a bad bad taste in their mouth from mm-hmm. the dig situation of like, you know, it didn't work out with his brother. If you're going to draft a guy high, you'd like to think he's going to be on your team for a long time um, and, and that he'll be happy. And in the previous situation, his brother was not. So I, I think it's fair to say uh, that, you know, to, to either not draft him as high or put him down your board because mm-hmm. your concern about a long-term future. And when you draft somebody, you, you, that should not be – part of the issue i think if you're going to take some you said you know we hope that this guy one that he plays well for us but two that we're going to have a long-term relationship together and if you already see you know sort of fool me once uh, shame on you fool me twice shame on me thing and i got to think they that they would take that into consideration i understand that it's a business and all those things but also it is people and people that have a history of not getting along even though it's a different person obviously that can, I, I think, uh, you know, play into consideration of what, if they would draft Diggs. Well, and I don't know Trayvon Diggs. I've never met him. Um, but I, I guess I would think, and maybe I am wrong here, I guess I would think that you would look at it as completely a different entity as, as a whole, like a completely different person, a completely different player, and what makes one person happy might not make another person happy. So even though the, the brothers are close that uh, Trayvon Diggs would come in and be a starter right away and be their number one corner and get the best coaching you can ask for from you know Mike Zimmer, who has coached how many great cornerbacks throughout his career. I, I would th- hope it, that if you're drafting him, you know already that he's going to come in and just work for you and be a good player. And 
five years down the road, who knows? Because you have that fifth-year option. So five years down the road, I mean, he could be the happiest player in the league, could be a shutdown corner, or maybe, you know, I mean, is he going to hold on to it forever that they decided that it didn't work out with Stephon Diggs? I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's hard for me to pass on a great prospect just because things didn't work out with his brother. It is. And I guess at the Combine, they had some good conversations with yeah. him. And yeah. this type of, it was either brought up or just sort of felt out of you know how they would see that relationship going. I'm sure it made itself pretty evident and within the first you know 30 whatever that conversation was. Uh, obviously, he's on the radar. We all know player. It's a, bit, a very uh, position of need for this football team. And you know the, then the sort of comes down to what were the reasons that Stefan wasn't happy as a Viking. Right. Was, is it right. something with the quarterback? Was it something with the GM? Was it something with the head coach? Was it something with the style of offense? What exactly were, uh, what was that reason or reasons as to why it seemed like he wasn't very happy being a Minnesota Viking just a couple years after signing a contract extension with a lot of years left on his contract? And so that's, uh, uh, you know, that's one thing that I just do not know. Yeah, good point. There's things that we don't really uh, know behind the scenes of, of what those conversations are like. And maybe Trayvon Diggs says, I don't want you guys to draft me from what I've heard. And then if somebody doesn't want to be there, that's pretty tough to pick them when there are other good corners. So uh, Sage, always good stuff. This was fun to uh, go back and look at an old hard knocks. And I suggest for anyone, if you go to NFL game pass, they're making it free through, I think June or, or May 31st. And, and so all the hard knocks are there, all the uh, football life documentaries are there. There's so much good stuff, not just the all 22 film, which, you know, we love to grind, but all these other great features, too. So make sure you check them out. And Sage, we'll get together on Wednesday and we'll see if anything else has happened. We need things to happen for the Minnesota Vikings. We need some contracts yeah, well, to be cut they, or extensions or something. Moves in the, you said it, it's sort of a, a little bit of a swing year, and uh, they need to make some moves to, to fill these. Uh, you know, absolutely evident roles that uh, they that they have. You know, four spots. I think that need to have you know legit players at because they, and they not just not just starters like guys who are good because you know corner defensive end. Those are very very important positions. Yeah. You know, one of the wide receivers. Those are extremely important positions. That that's not just like well, our guards right guards not quite good enough. These are these are uh, priority positions. All right, Sage. Well, we'll get together again on Wednesday, and we'll see what we've got then. Sounds good. All right. Sage Rosenfels there, our journeyman correspondent. When we return, Judd Zolgad is going to go through some hot routes. And then at 3.30, Chris Trapasso, who writes for CBS about the NFL draft, will break down. Let's Maybe I'll draft him before then, and he can break down my draft him. How about we do it that way? When we return, you'll listen to Purple Daily here on Score North. We could all use a little help while quarantined, and thanks to our many great local partners, Score North Listening Rewards is here to help with some cash relief. All month long, Score North is giving you the chance at $25 to $200 in cash just for listening to us. For your chance at free cash, download the Score North mobile app, register, and you could be a winner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Caller has questions. Blue 58! Blue 58! Go! And he wants your answers. Three! Red, red, red! Red Polly! Blue Poncho! In rapid fire fashion. Gun flex right stack. 394 Dragon Smoke. It's Hot Rods on Purple Daily. 580! 387! 
All right, Judd, just so you know, while we're doing hot routes here, yes. I will be draft simming because Chris Trapasso from CBS is coming up next, and one of the best things that you can do for draft expert is to just draft sim and then have them grade it. Okay. They really seem to love it. Every draft, well, the draft sim have, is they, red hot right they now. They really get excited about draft sims oh, if you just tell them who you pick. Nothing wrong with that. And uh, so we'll do that at 3.30, so I'll be simulating the draft as we speak. And uh, let's get it started, Jonathan, though, because I've got questions for you. As always, and we do this a lot now these days, I take five things from the headlines or something I just randomly think of and make them into questions that pertain to us or sometimes nothing. Just whatever. Anyway, let's let's, let's get it started out. Hot routes. Chris Spielman is selling memorabilia to help uh, battle against coronavirus. Good for you, Chris Spielman, one of my favorite players growing up. One of the toughest guys in the NFL at the time. I want you to give me a piece of NFL memorabilia that you would love to have, and it doesn't even necessarily have to exist. Like, you don't have to know that it exists. Right, 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 right. Like, Billy White Shoes Johnson's White Shoes, you don't know what he did with them, but just say you want them. You know what? I'm going to go with something that Chris's brother Rick would have, and I'm willing to bet it exists somewhere. Perhaps it exists in Egan with the Vikings or in the National Football League offices. But it's a very small thing, but I could frame it. I want the card or the facts or the piece of paper with the Randy Moss trade Hmm. from the Patriots here. I want that piece of paper because it brought back such a great player in franchise history, and it did it for exactly one month. I think that'd be a fun, easy thing to frame, and, and that might go a long way towards if years from now I'm being asked about the uh, debacle of 2010, and there's a thousand things, right? The roof collapsing, can I have a piece of the Metrodome roof or something? But if I just want one small thing that encapsulates the complete debacle that was 2010, that card stating the uh, draft picks that the Vikings traded to the Patriots for Moss would be something that I could frame and hang up and just point to it and say, sort of sort of started with that, or at least went a long way with that. Uh, mine's along the similar lines. I'm changing this at the last moment just based off thinking of it. I want the food or the dish of food that Randy Moss threw out in the locker room that he said wasn't that he said wasn't good enough for his dogs, I believe. I'll take that. I stuff. want that food. Tanucci's food is fantastic. Yes. Mm. I would love a piece of municipal stadium from Cleveland. Mm. Uh one reason being that the NFL did in a football life on the ninety-five Cleveland team where they were pulling off things from the stadium and throwing them onto the field in the final games before the Browns left. But so many old games that I watch take place on Municipal Stadium Field, which was not really a field. It was just like dirt. Dirt, yeah. It was dirt. Old school, yeah. Everyone is covered in mud and dust by the end of every one of those <laughs> classic football games. football was, man. I know, and that's why it's the best. Love it. And so I would like a piece of Municipal Stadium. Another thing I would like is anything from when Barry Sanders went over 2,000 yards. Because that was that game was so loud inside of the Silverdome mm-hmm. that the referees actually had to announce to the crowd that they would start penalizing them if they didn't quiet down. That's the old school thing. <laughs> There, there was Seriously. once there, there was once talk of, and I don't know if this was ever uh, drew a flag or not, but there was once a penalty for crowd noise. Really? Yes. Wow. Yes. Go back and look. It's probably been in the last fifteen years or, or so that that disappeared completely. But there was once where you could enforce that the crowd was actually making 
too much noise. And, and I think part of that, guys, is this. It's pretty well-known fact that in the old uh, domes, <clears throat> such as the Metrodome, that there were teams that did certain things to pipe yes. in more oh, noise. Yes. And that could get you in some trouble. Yeah. And so I think the league was basically saying, your crowd's loud, but you're doing something that's going to get you a penalty. I think that's what that stems from. All right, next question. Everyone is replaying old games these days, and it's glorious, of course. Uh, the Falcons <laughs> trolled the Vikings pretty good by replaying the 98 NFC Championship game on YouTube. If you could watch one Super Bowl on a loop, it was the only Super Bowl you were ever allowed to watch ever again, what Super Bowl would that be? Jonathan? Um, for me, I'm going back to NF or Super Bowl 43 between the Steelers and the Cardinals. There's 23 points scored in the final quarter when yep. the Cardinals were making a comeback. You also have the James Harrison 100-yard interception at the end of the first half where Larry Fitzgerald runs from the opposite side of the field and try mm-hmm. and nearly tackles James Harrison at the death of the first half. There was so much going on in that, that Santonio Holmes touchdown catch to end the game. I think that one was one of the most thrilling. I'm going way, way, way back, and I know this is going to shock both of you guys, but I think I, I think I'm going back to, I think I might go back to Super Bowl um, three, Jets and Colts, wow, Namath game, guaranteed win when it meant something, when people actually thought, oh my God, did Joe Namath say that? But that one is hideous. It's when, so ugly. What's there like twelve points scored? I know, but guys were smoking at halftime, man. <laughs> it was it was football-y football. Yes, you know what. It was. It had. It was played in an era where interceptions were the norm, and there was a lot of bad play. But I want that. And plus, the payoff. The jerseys were so much better. Yes, the Jets yeah, the jerseys looked, were good. Yeah. The Colts look. Come on, Shula, Shula coaching the Colts. It's my choice. I'll go with the game that I think boosted the NFL toward quarterback play and offense. In 1979, the 78 season, Steelers and Cowboys. Oh, yeah. 35-31. You've got unbelievable quarterback play, explosive offenses, and a shootout in that game that comes down to the final play. 79 is a great selection. If we're going recently, I think the best recent Super Bowl, if not last year, which was a tremendous Super Bowl, is probably Patriots and Seahawks where they don't run Marshawn. The problem is it hurts me inside because they didn't run Marshawn. The game Marshawn. here was fun, too. Oh, no question. Yeah, that one going back. The game back here was great fun. That one go- but, I mean, New England's 28-3 to comeback on Atlanta depends on how nauseous New England makes you. Um but 41-33 here with the Eagles. And again, for Vikings fans, it depends on how nauseous it makes you to watch that. Um, but if I'm You're going right. a recent one, I, I think the Patriots and Seahawks is a great one. Even you though, couldn't watch it, though. Know, the Patriots winning. No, I mean, it's it's great. I, I want the best game. Until Daryl Bevel. Gonna, until no, Bev yeah, makes the play call. I know. That game is so good. Then you good. throw something at your port TV and break it. Um, pass rusher Robert Quinn literally flipped a coin over which team to sign with. He had two teams in the same offer. I saw this. The Bears and the Falcons. I guess it didn't matter to him restaurants or uh, apartments or anything else. He just flipped a coin, and he ends up with the Chicago Bears. If you had to pick two teams right now to join... Mm. That were at the top of your list, who you want to play for, mm. and you could flip a coin for this team or that team. Who would your two teams be? Just fl- a flipping a coin between two teams that you like a lot. So basically, two you can't lose. That, well, the organizations that you would want to play for if you were a free agent, which I know with your athletic gifts, oh Judd, my it's easy gosh, to it would be figure out. It would be fantastic. <laughs> uh, team one on team on one side of my coin, I'm going with Tampa Bay. 
considering the state of things there. And I think it'd be great fun to play there in at least the short term, if not the long term, since Bruce Arians is a very good coach. And my second team that I would probably flip the coin on might be might be the Rams. Really? Might be the play Rams. For McVay? Play for McVay, Los Angeles. Yeah, I'll say the Buccaneers and the Rams. I wouldn't flip a coin on Tampa Bay because if they gave me an offer right now, I'd take it because I just want to win a Super Bowl. But if I don't have an offer from Tampa Bay and I have offers from the Cardinals because I like where they're going, mm-hmm. where they could be going with that offense, and obviously the Vegas Raiders because Vegas. That's I knew, I knew everything was everything was Vegas. involves yes, Vegas. Vegas for you. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, your answer Vegas, to every hot route for months has been Vegas. Golden Knights. I am going to go with Pittsburgh Steelers. Okay. Not because of their situation necessarily, but because of the uniforms, the city, the history. Yeah. If you get to if you get to be a Pittsburgh Steeler, that's pretty darn cool. You're big time. And the other one, I was trying to decide between like do I want to play with Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City? But then I also thought I would gain 50 pounds eating barbecue right. there all the time. And the city is to be a consideration. I'm trying to think of wh- where you'd play, you know? Like the Giants? Yeah. But the Giants yeah, yeah. stink, but the Giants? The Jets, no way. I can't do the Jets. And I would pick the Seahawks to play with Russell Wilson, yeah, but good, good the, the uniforms, again, if they were going to go back to the old school ones that they originally started with, I think I would probably go <laughs> with old, them. I love those old ones. Ah, the second team is hard. I think I want to play. I want to play it. For Frank Reich in Indianapolis, because it's a rising team, they got a really good roster. He seems to be a great coach. It's an okay, and town. it's a. I think it's a cool town. I like great convention town. Yeah, it's a. It's small, yeah. but I like it. So I'm going to go with Pittsburgh right. or Indianapolis. Okay. Uh, Bill O'Brien, <laughs> it's great. Bill O'Brien's just like a content machine for us. He said that he stands by the DeAndre Hopkins trade because Hopkins wanted a new contract and the team can't afford it. Well, why is that, Bill? Yeah, yeah, Bill, you're why the GM would that too. be? Maybe because you traded for a left tackle that was going to need a new contract yep. too, which might not have been the smartest thing. Uh, I want you guys to tell me about a football take that you had and you were wrong, but you stand by it anyway. I think I have to think for a second on this one. So you got one, somebody Jonathan? else start us off. Uh, this one was really dumb. Looking back at it. Back in 2007, the draft, the Vikings were, I think, the seventh pick or whatever it was at the time. I was adamant that they didn't need AP when they picked him because they had You Chester. were? Yeah, because I wanted them to get a quarterback. Of course, I was a dumb 17-year-old at the time. Well, so I wanted was them to he get a- dumb? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, in, in that era, that's a different Let me take era. A Let I, me think, take a I think you were pretty dumb. I think, back in the, I think quarterback has always had the same value toward winning. I wanted them to get a quarterback, and they had Chester Taylor, who had like 1,500 yards the year before. So I'm like, why do we need another running back who's obviously who will be a rookie? We don't know how well he's going to turn out. Turned out he was pretty dang good, and it helped, he helped them get to 8-8 eight and eight the next season. But I was very adamant that they needed a quarterback and not a running back when they selected AP. I'm going to decide based on the quarterbacks in that draft. Oh, they're terrible. Right Don't look yeah, bad. It's not, gonna be gonna, bad. it's not good. Yeah. Yeah. Are they bad? It's the Jamarcus Russell draft with yeah, Brady Quinn. Is Brady the Quinn. only other good quarterback. And people wanted Quinn. <laughs> good. And people oh. wanted Quinn. Yeah, what? yeah, it's a bad. Yeah. Wow. Brady Quinn, yeah. Kevin Cobb, John Beck. It was not a, Drew it, it was a terrible How Peterson Trent got Edwards, to seven is a miracle. The best quarterback in this draft is probably Kevin Cobb, but it might be Tyler Thigpen. How about that? It was a terrible quarterback draft. All right, yeah, that's... And guess who got Tyler? That's old takes exposed. Till those nasty Chiefs came it, along and saw him in a joint practice and stole him from us. But in general, 
I think it is still a defensible take to say uh-huh. draft a quarterback over a running back. Especially that high in the draft. It didn't turn out. You no. would not have been right. 2005, boys. a defensible take. Hey, Raj, right there for you. Not once, but twice. Troy Williamson and Erasmus James. You, you got one, Judd. You passed. Uh, you know what? I'm going to go with... Um, so, is this a take that I had and was proven wrong because I was flat out wrong or because the team proved me wrong? Because... I'm going to go with last year's, and I still think I'm right. I still think I'm right, but ultimately was uh, proven very wrong by the team. Anthony Barr. Oh, you thought that they would let him go? I thought, that, yeah, I thought for sure. Yeah. I thought that they were at the point to be smart enough and were savvy enough to, no matter what Mike said about him, say, "Too bad he's gone." And I thought 100 percent he's going to get paid too much. He's going to walk out that door. And the Vikings, with Brzezinski and Spielman especially, are savvy enough at that point to be like, okay, bye. And the fact that he called him and you know basically begged to come back mm-hmm. and was allowed back, I was 100% wrong on what I thought the operating procedure towards a guy like that, who's a good player but not a great player, yeah. Yeah. I was 100% wrong on how they would approach him. I'll give you two. Number one is Antonio Brown. I was not aware of the other problems he had. I sure. thought that he had just... I thought it was like a dig situation. Mm-hmm. He had gotten to the end of his rope with Roethlisberger, which you could totally see because he doesn't seem like a great dude. And, you know, Tomlin's been there too long. Maybe the message is stale and AB has just kind of had enough. And that's what it looked like. So my thought was if you could put Kirk Cousins with Antonio Brown, Stephon Diggs, and M. Thielen, that it could be the most we explosive offense in the NFL. Mm-hmm. But as the other stuff came out, it became very clear that much more was wrong than Antonio Brown than I had anticipated. So I think that the logic at the time made sense, but obviously it did not work out that way. The other one is the Bills beating the Vikings. I was on with you guys before that game. The Bills Bills (laughs) had been beaten by like 30 points two straight games. They looked absolutely horrendous. I swear somebody else started the first Nathan Peterman maybe started their first game and then was benched halfway through and then Josh Allen comes in and the Vikings were stacked our expectations were Super Bowl the Bills were coming here nobody wins here yep. and I said I mean there's about a 3% chance that the Bills win this game I mean there's they shouldn't have any shot to win this game Jerry Hughes dominated Riley Reef that day the Vikings were distracted by the Everson Griffin thing and it was one of the worst performances by the Vikings that I've ever covered. So, you know, I would stand by the Vikings were a way stronger team. Yeah, I was going to say. But we also didn't know the issues that would develop as the season went along. Oh, and for, for me as well, 2010. I thought the, the Vikings trying to run the entire thing back was genius. <laughs> I did. I thought yeah. they're all coming back. Yeah. Favre's going to come back at some point, yeah. And this team is going to be stacked. And I could not have been more wrong about I, that one. I also thought Detroit would be pretty competitive last year. Yeah, we did talk about that. I tried to warn you. I, well, I didn't know that Matt Stafford was going to get hurt. They were like three and four when he got hurt. Sure, so they the were. He was playing coaches, really well. Coach is still the, up. Yes, the coach is problematic. Uh, all right, last hot routes question here: Who mm-hmm. wins a championship first? Joe Burrow, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, or Daniel Jones? So unproven young quarterbacks. Yeah. Who wins the championship first? I'm going with Jonathan's team, the Cardinals. Kyler Murray, I like him. Burrow, I have no clue. Baker, I am, I am, uh, I've grown, I've become leery of Baker, and Daniel Jones, I think might be good, but I can't tell. And the Giants have just been so dysfunctional. Yeah. I think the Cardinals actually might have a plan here with that coach and this kid in place a quarterback. So I'm going Kyler Murray. 
I think Baker's set up to do it the soonest if he can pull it all together and be a decent quarterback. He's got the parts around him. Too, it's just so thin skin. It's all based on yeah. whether he can do it. Yeah. But I agree with Judd here. I think Murray wins one first out of the four, though. I like him as the quarterback, and now he has one of the best receivers in the league. He's got a good running back. Now they just need to build a defense, and I think within a year or two, they'll be challenging in the, the NFC West. Things that we just don't know is, does Baker Mayfield get his bleep together and mm-hmm. sort of grow up or not? I don't I, know. I, that, I tend to think no. I, I tend to see things in his personality that usually don't change. Yeah. Yep. I he agree does, He doesn't have, I think he is himself, which is, I guess, athletically good and bad. But personality-wise, it's probably bad. Yeah, he's an extremely accurate passer, and he's got enough athleticism to take off if you need to and, some and people, stuff like that. But As we've seen, some people get affected by things, Collar, and mm-hmm. they just can't really take it. I, I'm trying to think of names from here. I, I, hmm, let's see. Could Kirk Cousins be a guy who sometimes gets things between the ears and can't yeah, to get past it? But I, but I think he's Not way like mentally stronger. Oh, no. I agree, but I don't think Baker has the ability to take, let's say, the next five leaps yeah. to become that guy who can just be like, bleep it, I'm good. His personality seems like one that might work in college, like that leadership sure. style might work in college, but it's not going to work in the pros where everybody's getting paid to do their job and they're acting as professionals. And you just better win. Like If you're yeah. going to act like that, you have to win because once you lose, then everyone is going to pile the hell on top of you. Mm-hmm. And that's what we saw last year. And then if you let it get to you when people are piling on top of you, then you turn into a straight-up disaster, and that's what he was. And Kevin Stefanski has his hands full. But if it clicks, I think he has a great amount of talent and a really good setup for that team. The organization, though, that's why I wouldn't pick Joe Burrow either. The organization is just so messy. It's hard to see. Even when they had great quarterback play with Carson Palmer, they got one or two shots at it, and they botched that and had Palmer leave town and then go to the NFC Championship with someone else. Hard to see Cincinnati or Cleveland actually getting there. Mm-hmm. So Kyler Murray, I think, is uh, is the right pick here. Daniel Jones, I'm not sure because I don't think that Gettleman has much more time. Yeah, but I don't dislike Daniel Jones. Right, I, I like some of the things but that the I fra- saw from the him. franchise. Scares me. If they get a new general manager, I might believe in them. I, even firing Pat Shermer when they did, I don't know that that was really the the best move they could have made. Um, you know, you, you, you get continuity for somebody. You give right. them years and years, and sometimes it eventually clicks together. Like it did with Marvin Lewis in, in Cincinnati. He was the argument for continuity. It's not like players were turning on Shermer or he was falling apart in front of the New York media. He wasn't really built the for that. The franchise is not well run. No. So right now, they're, they're, they're not. And what's sad is they used to be, for a long period of time there, incredible. Yes, they were. They like were an the, incredibly solid yep. franchise, and in the last what now eight years, five years, eight years, it's just turned downturned, and, and yeah, it's way. I think the problem with the Giants, to your point, is it's way above the coach. It goes GM and above that, which becomes a big problem. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, all right, well, that's hot routes for today. One question before you leave, and we bring in uh, Chris Trapasso from CBS writes about the draft and. Uh, can't say that my draft sim went super great. So, but I stick with it. Well, that, that's like, I, I, that's okay. Just, just do out. eight more before Chris uh, yeah. joins you. I, I'm not just going to throw it out. I'm going to stick with my right. one draft sim and, okay. and go from there. Fair enough. Um, but so we talked on what would have been Friday mm-hmm. about whether the Vikings were going to make any moves over the weekend. And your comment turned out this is not an old take exposed. Uh, you said, don't 
hold my breath. Like, go ahead and watch Boardwalk Empire because you're not going to be missing anything that the Vikings are doing. Right. What is next? What is going to happen next? Are we thinking... Anthony Harris trade at the draft. Are we yes. thinking Delvin extension? Like what no. is what is your what is in your mind timelines draft. for these different things? Harris trade at the draft. Here here's the the uh, problem that goes well beyond just the Vikings, Matthew. The problem is this: the second wave that, that we ordinarily see, right? Because free agency starts and it's always great. Yep, and. This year was no exception. It was a nice way to to get our minds off of what was going on in our day-to-day lives. And the first wave was fun, and the second wave essentially didn't come. Yeah, Like, there were guys here and there, but Griffin, who's a very nice player, right? Like, he's still a good player. He's still out there. Right. And so so the second wave of guys who probably teams want to vet very closely— and like get in their complexes and talk to and ask how they're doing and what's wrong or what's not wrong, it can't happen. And so so ordinarily through now we'd have this not huge names, but you know, decent names signing. Those guys aren't. And I don't think that it's a Vikings thing. I think it's a league wide issue. And I really don't think that we're going to get much action again now until the draft approaches and some trades are made, and then the draft starts. So they're going to do the draft entirely from home, mm-hmm. uh, that nobody's getting together at facilities or anything else like so this. Much. Oh, yeah. They're so sure. mad. For sure. Um, and I feel no sadness for them, honestly. Oh, I'm with you totally. Um, but do you think that'll affect trades on draft night? With I mean, yeah. usually you're everybody's in a room, yep. and you got somebody main in the phones, and so maybe you have your assistant GM yelling out, they're going to give us the, the 30-second pick. Or yeah, there's saying, a guy just gets the phone. Hey, and you, get, you yeah. call this guy, you call that guy. And now everyone's going to be spread out, mm-hmm. and I don't know, every team will be doing it differently, but usually Trader Rick is a thing on draft night where you never know as a reporter covering it when the Vikings are selecting because they might trade up, they might trade down, they might trade 14 times down and pick a running back with the last pick in the third round. Didn't see that coming last year, and that ended up happening. Uh, But I wonder how it's going to affect that sort of thing. If you're trying to deal Anthony Harris on trade night uh, or on draft night, is it difficult to get a trade worked out that everybody can agree on, especially, I mean, Harris has no injuries or anything else like that, so you don't worry that much about the Do physical. Do you think but. trades are going to be done more so going into the draft than ordinarily? I'm thinking the day or two before. Like, so we're not going to have, we've got Arizona on line one, Buffalo on line two. It's going to be, we already decided to do this draft trade that involves Harris with the Cardinals. Yeah. And it's yeah. done before the draft starts. But you never know how the the board falls, and then teams get obsessed with we got to trade up and get this guy, or you know somebody else behind you wants this or that yeah. guy, so you're going to move back and give them that draft pick. Uh, it's this is more of an argument to spreading it out over a couple of more days and doing the top ten and eleven through twenty and, and whatever. I which like was the my, first round for was, two days. That was my initial idea. Yeah, through two through two days of the I first round. That, but I like it. And then everyone could sort of assess where the draft board is yep. who's drafting after tenth and maybe even give more time between picks because you know there's gonna be problems. Uh oh, Baltimore's internet is down or something. I mean there's going to be some sort of issue with this. Uh the IT people for the NFL are going to be Baltimore, we've lost overtime. Baltimore. Yeah. <laughs> we've lost them. 
And uh, now, how embarrassing would it be to miss your draft pick? Oh, well, that has happened before. So it, not a, no, no, it was great. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it worked out. It worked fine. out really well for Red well. and Mike Tice and the Vikings. All right, Judd. Well, thank you. Um, that's it for me. All right, that, boys. Is, that is it for you. I will talk Appreciate to you later. the hot routes. I have done a draft sim. I'm not super pleased with it, but we're going to go Just over do it, it again because I think it's realistic. <laughs> so we're going to go over it with Chris Trapasso of CBS. He writes NFL Draft for them, and then. The snubbery, such a snubbelicious all-decade team in the secondary especially. We'll bring that up, too, before the show is over here on Purple Daily. Minnesota sports fans, we know you're doing your best to stay home, and we're here for you at Score North through every step of the coronavirus pandemic. Got something to say about Minnesota sports? Want to tell us why we are wrong, perhaps? Leave us a mic drop message on the free Score North app. You may even hear yourself on Score North on AM1500, scorenorth.com, or the free Score North mobile app. Jonathan here with the Score North download. This download powered by PodMN. Just a quick note here about a partner we have here at Score North. The need remains high for our local Ronald McDonough House Charities Upper Midwest during the coronavirus outbreak as they work tirelessly to provide a wide array of support services to families with seriously ill or injured children at their Twin Cities locations. Thanks to Luis Arise and the Minnesota Twins, one lucky person who makes a donation of any amount at scorenorth.com will receive a signed Luis Arise Minnesota Twins jersey. Your contribution allows the Ronald McDonald House to continue to provide critical services to families dealing with a child's health crisis. To donate, please visit scorenorth.com, keyword donate. PodMN is the number one source for local and on-demand Minnesota audio. Discover hundreds of unique podcasts produced right here at home. Download the PodMN app on Apple, Spotify, or Apple or Google Play stores. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you, Jonathan. And we welcome into the show Chris Trapasso from uh, CBS Sports. He writes about the NFL draft there. Now, a quick question before we get into the draft, Chris. Have they given Stefan Diggs the key to the city in Buffalo yet? Um, if we did not have this coronavirus outbreak, I think they would. <laughs> Yeah, uh, just because so many fans um, around this area were so eager for the Bills to go wide receiver in the draft, and just felt like although John Brown and Cole Beasley played well last year, they needed that true superstar at the wide receiver spot. So Bills fans uh, are certainly happy here to get him. Although the Bills did pay quite a bit to get him, uh, they had some extra picks. But yes, uh, if the city hall was open, I bet there would maybe have been. Uh, already some kind of ceremony giving him the key to the city of Buffalo. Yeah, that is a, that is an inside joke. You are from Western New York, and when the Buffalo <laughs> Bills acquired Terrell Owens, uh, they literally gave him the key to the city. It goes in the all-time <laughs> embarrassing Buffalo Bills moments along with everything in the Toronto series, but that's a different conversation. Uh, what did you think, Chris, about what the Vikings got back in terms of draft capital? Well, this trade just worked out perfectly for both sides because, like I said, the Bills did pay quite a bit for him, but they had an extra fifth and an extra sixth. So it wasn't like they were going to go into the draft and not have any selections in those rounds. But for the Vikings to get more than just a first-round pick and to get a fifth and a sixth and a fourth next year and only have to give up that extra seventh um, to trade a seemingly dis- uh disgruntled player, um, I think that was a really good haul for the Vikings. And just on the surface, in terms of draft capital, I think they did a great job when you compare that 
to Amari Cooper, to Odell Beckham, to a few other of these high-profile wide receiver trades that have gone down recently. Yeah, in my mind, you can win a trade and still lose a trade. Uh, in this case, you win the trade by getting the best um, you know, amount of draft capital back of any of the top wide receivers traded. You lose the trade because you traded a top wide receiver <laughs> and because you put yourself in a position where you couldn't make happy one of the best players on your team that you, you couldn't come to some sort of terms with him to go forward. So you were forced to trade him. So I, I look at it from that perspective, almost like, uh, didn't, well, I forget what the Bills traded Jason Peters for back in the day, but I remember Bills fans being like, well, oh, whatever, man, he wants too much. Much money and he's a pain in the butt. Let's get that second round pick for him. <laughs> like, well, yeah, but the other team gets Jason Peters. Yeah, they got a, I believe, a first oh, and first. a second in that trade. So and they like, which ultimately ended up being like Eric Wood and Aaron Mabin, and then yeah. they did turn the second round pick into Jarius Bird. But still, if you go back in time over ten years now, the Bills would have definitely never made that trade. Tried to work things out. I mean, Jason Peters is still in the league and has been an elite left tackle ever since. Right, and I just uh, saw Aaron Mabin get cut by the Cincinnati Bengals on Hard Knocks 2013 that I've been watching back. Um, so, <laughs> one thing that every draft writer that I bring on the show, Chris, is I make them uh, grade my draft sim. So, I'm going to take you through okay. my draft sim, and I'm not super pleased with myself on this draft sim, but I want you to tell me if I did better than I thought. So, at 22nd, I took T. Higgins out of Clemson. The draft board kind of fell that way, that all the top receivers went off the board. He was there. Seems like a fit as an outside wide receiver to replace Diggs. And with 25, naturally, I had to take a cornerback because they don't have anyone. Uh, so, I went with another Clemson guy, A.J. Terrell. And then with the other three picks, Antoine Winfield Jr. fell to me in the second round. Pretty surprising. I don't expect that on draft night, but had to take him. Even if they don't trade Anthony Harris, I'm taking Antoine Winfield there. And then uh, Raekwon Davis with 89, and Danny Pinter, who's an offensive lineman from Ball State's guard, at 105. He had a really good combine. That's basically all I know about him. So grade my drafts him. Um, I'll give it a B plus. Um, I think if you ask a lot of other people, um, they would probably give it a lower grade because I'm seemingly higher on T. Higgins than anyone else. He went into... Um, the combine as my number one wide receiver in this draft class. He actually did squeak in his pro day, did not perform very well at the Clemson pro day, so it knocked him down to my second wide receiver. Um, but in Minnesota, to have that compliment to Adam Thielen, who plays in the slot quite a bit, um, I think would be perfect. It would add a, a different dimension to that offense that you are also getting bigger at the wide receiver spot. But a big part of why Stephon Diggs was so good in Minnesota was beyond his route running ability was how good he was in those contested catch situations. Mm -hmm. And T Higgins gives you that right away. I'm higher on AJ Terrell than most people. I think he probably would have been a consensus first round pick until that national title game when Mm -hmm. Jamar Chase caught three or four passes on him down the field. If you look at the previous national title game against Alabama, AJ Terrell had the interception, the pick six early in the game and the last two years at Clemson, he just locked down everybody in the ACC, he's over six foot, long arms, good athlete. So those two selections in round one would probably universally be kind of criticized, but I think they would be good picks. Winfield um, is a lot like his dad in that he is a great active run defender. Um, we saw, obviously, a ton of range in coverage with the amount of interceptions that he had at Minnesota. The only problem with him is just he has 
two or three injuries in his career mm-hmm. that you're hoping don't pop up again. Raekwon Davis would be a, probably a little bit too early for me because I think at his size, at 6'6", around 3'10", you like that you can play him anywhere up front, but he really peaked as a pass rusher, as a sophomore at Alabama. And I think what the Vikings really needed is another one who can not just plug a hole. I mean, they signed Michael Pierce. He can do that at nose tackle. Someone who can create pressure beyond Danell Hunter on the edge, especially with how much turnover there is on the defensive line. And Danny Pinter might be my favorite pick in terms of value in this sim because you're right. He had a fantastic combine um, and watching his film at Ball State. I thought when I first watched him that he was so athletic that I figured he could still stay at left or right tackle in the pros. He did measure in a little bit smaller, so his, his right position probably is guard in the NFL. But with the Vikings kind of prioritizing athleticism over pure power, on the offensive line, getting yeah. him uh, at, what, 105, you said, I think that would be great value. Maybe wouldn't have to play him instantly, but I think he's going to be one of the better tackles or, or guards from this draft class that gets picked beyond the first round. So this was, it's in the weeds a little bit, but I wrote an article for our website about best draft fits among offensive linemen, and I went back and forth between him and Robert Hunt, who is a tackle, might play guard in the NFL from uh, Louisiana, but he seems to be getting more buzz now, and, and I don't know if he's going to end up being, uh, like, what, a second-round pick, a third-round pick, um, but it seems like it seems like this has a number of offensive linemen that the Vikings would be pretty pleased with if they ended up with... Uh, pretty much anywhere in these first three rounds. Yeah, I think, um, first off, Hunt will probably go in the second round, and I think some teams could view him as a guard, and some might keep him out at tackle. Um, He doesn't have as explosive of athleticism. He's not as spectacular um, with his movement skills as Danny Pinter, but I think he's more solid across the board. He's stronger, Mm -hmm. but you're right. that This draft class, um, there's so many of the scouting reports that I've written I just can easily recollect writing, hey, great athlete, but needs to get a a little bit stronger. Danny Pinter's one of them. Cesar Ruiz from Michigan is another. Um, There's so many, like, third to fifth rounders that I think the Vikings will be really into and be compelled to pick because they can get across the line laterally, might need to add 10 to 15 pounds, and might not be ready until year two to really – take the next step, but those Vikings type of offensive linemen will be there in those valuable rounds uh, on the second and third day. Talking with Chris Trapasso, he writes about the NFL draft for CBS Sports. I want to circle back to what you said about T. Higgins and the the whole pro day and combine and everything else um, because now the combine was a little weird. They moved the schedules all over the place and some agents didn't want their players doing certain drills. It seemed like everybody came up with bad three-cone drills. Some players just didn't do it at all, like Tyler Johnson. And uh, I wonder if this year, Chris, in your mind, is harder to gauge what we're supposed to make of NFL combine results and things like that, and how much you value it. Because Denzel Mims was a guy that in early draft sims and mocks was a late second round guy, and now he goes in the first round in every single one after having a great combine. Um, but, I, but I wonder how much in your mind you move things around like that, especially with a position like wide receiver, just based on the combine and in some cases the lack of a combine or a, a pro day that's on video. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. And, and in any other draft class, I would, I 
factor in the combine quite a bit. Now that we have 20 years of data, we can really, it's easy to compare prospects to other players over the last two decades. But you're right that not even at just wide receiver, across the board, I don't know if it was the new schedule or what it was, but the combine performances were not nearly as good with the agility drills, with, with some of the broad jumps, even the 40-yard dashes across the board, every position were not as good. There were some rumblings in Indianapolis that that was due to the new schedule, and I think that's why we saw more top prospects not even work out, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. At wide receiver, though, and I, I docked T. Higgins a little bit because his pro day was not very good, but for wide receivers, when it comes to the combine or a pro day, it depends on what type of wide receiver you are. If you are a specialist in apparently getting open all the time, after the catch, making defenders miss, you're, you're really a speed and agility-based wide receiver, and then you tank your combine, that throws up a pretty big red flag to me. Right. If you're someone like T. Higgins, that you're going to be winning on the vertical route tree, um, running go routes, post, post corners, not a lot of intricate stuff where you have to throttle down to zero and then explode back in a different direction, and you're winning above the rim in those contested catch uh, situations, not as much of a dock. It was just... Him, Jerry, Judy, and CeeDee Lamb I had graded so closely. And then after just some recalibrations, he moved down to number two. Um, but I would still pick him in the first round. I might be in the, you know, like the only one that feels that way. But I think he would add a fun dimension to the Vikings offense and still give you that contested catchability that Stephon Diggs was so good at over the last few years. Now, receiver in the first is a debate we've been having on the show, Chris, because... Uh, you know, you could take a wide receiver there to try and fill Stephon Diggs' shoes, but then you're neglecting something else by doing that, and there's so many other pressing needs. And with Kubiak's offenses, they often feature one wide receiver over everybody else, at least in his past history. So in this particular draft, Sim, I end up looking at my board by the time I get to the third round and going, well, I haven't taken an offensive or defensive lineman, and they need both of those things. Um, would you advise the Vikings taking a receiver in the first round, or is it possible in a deep receiver draft that they should address other things first? Yeah, see, I would be fine with T. Higgins there, but this is kind of a question of, like you're saying, playing the board, that I have T. Higgins graded as a first-round pick, but if I had the intel that there's no way he's going to go in the first, no other team would pick him there, and he might be there in the second, I think waiting would actually be the better hmm. solution for the Vikings because, like I said, even adding Michael Pierce, um, who's a great run defender, with losing Linval Joseph, Everson Griffin unlikely to re-sign, um, they need more horses up front, and that hasn't been a problem for Mike Zimmer's team in basically his entire tenure in Minnesota, and I think it is time to kind of restock the shelves up front it's a pretty good defensive line class, but not the amount of depth in the third and the fourth and the fifth round as there is at wide receiver. And I think with Gary Kubiak, um, like you said, he traditionally features one wide receiver. You still have Adam Thielen. You have um, a good running game. So I, I think probably if you're looking at it just from positional value and navigating the draft, waiting on wide receiver 
going corner, going defensive line would probably make more sense for the Vikings early on. And because I've been watching Hard Knocks 2013 late at night, now my brain is connecting everything to what I see on Hard Knocks. But when they drafted, what, Sanu in the third and Marvin Jones in the fifth, like that is the dream scenario for the Vikings. You draft a couple of receivers in the mid-rounds, and then one or two of them click, and then you've got what you need. It's Sometimes if you blow it on the top wide receiver, I, I think it's a big hit to, to you because you usually force that guy in right away, and then you find out that he can't play and he's actively hurting your offense, um, and you really rely on that player right away. I don't know, maybe that's like sort of twisted logic, but I think that there's a value play in the middle to try getting two of those guys and hope one works out, rather than putting all your eggs in the Troy Williamson basket, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, even if they did go uh, like T. Higgins in the first round, and then or Jalen Rager in the first, and then fourth or fifth round, a bigger-bodied player is there, Antonio Gandy-Golden from Liberty, Colin Johnson from Texas. I could see that. I think this would be the draft to double up. The Vikings just doubled up last year with B.C. Johnson and Dylan Mitchell, which, mm-hmm. by the way, you have to tell me what happened with Dylan Mitchell because I was a huge <laughs> fan of him. Had him, I think, in the second or third round in my grades. I heard there was some off-field stuff, and then he really had a hard time getting on the field. I don't. To me, I don't think Vikings fans should totally give up on Dylan Mitchell but he did not have a good rookie season. Well, I would ask you this to explain the BC Johnson, Dylan Mitchell thing. What's the hardest thing for someone in your position writing about the NFL draft to know? Uh, any of the off field or medical stuff, because that can just get thrown around and there's narratives on each side. So I tend to stay away from those because I'm not going to trust what someone tells me that I don't know mm-hmm. about another person. I don't know. Um, so just on the field, what he did at Oregon was really Justin Herbert's go-to guy, had a great combine, ran sub 4-5, good size, great hands. I thought Dylan Mitchell was a mid-round pick at worst, and then he goes in the seventh, and then he barely plays as a rookie. Yeah, see, I think that the hardest thing to know about how a guy's going to translate is how he's going to pick up an offense and how smart he is. B.C. Johnson yeah. is a really intelligent dude, and you could tell from the first second that you talked to him, you're like, oh, wow, okay, you really know the game, and uh, you didn't get that impression from Dylan Mitchell. But they kept him around in the practice squad. He's going to be a developed guy. There's no question which player is more physically talented, but one player they knew would line up in the right place on every play, could play special teams mm-hmm. if you needed him to, would run every route correct, and that was the guy that got on the field, unsurprisingly. So mm-hmm. that, that's where I think that we love to look at people like yourself and go, oh, well, you got this guy wrong. You were high on him and he blew it. Well, there's no way that even teams can know 100% how someone's going to yeah. process that much information and apply it, right? So I, I think that's what really happened there. Um, before I let you go, Chris, give me the guy who you think is really high on your board and other boards who could drop. Like, who's got that potential? Because almost every draft sim I do, there's somebody really special who ends up there at 22, and I think the odds are pretty good that if one of those guys drops, they'll be at a position of need for the Vikings because they need everything. Yeah, I think this would be a home run scenario for the Vikings, and I think it's Javon Kinlaw from South Carolina, Mm. that he got injured at the Senior Bowl like on the third day of practice, and that kept him out of the combine. His first two days in Mobile were outstanding. He was clearly the best player on the field. And really, a lot of people were like, why is Javon Kinlaw here? He's already a first-round pick. He's competing. Was unreal in one-on-one drills. And I thought was 
more disruptive than Derrick Brown in the SEC the past two seasons. Didn't have the stats of Derrick Brown, but pressures, lining up everywhere, using his hands, just more disruptive pass rusher. I think there are some medical concerns with him, and I think that the NFL still values the Derrick Brown type, although I do not think he's ever going to be that good of a pass rusher in the passing game-centric NFL. I could see Javon Kinlaw getting to number 22. I don't think he would get to 25, but if he's there at 22, I think that would be a home run selection. You would say, hey, we'll wait on wide receiver. Let's get a disruptive long pass rusher to instantly plug into this defensive line. Yep, and I think it was a huge difference maker when the Vikings had Sheldon Richardson versus did not have him or even Sharif Floyd yep. a few years ago before he got hurt. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Chris Trapasso. That is T-R-A-P-A-S-S-O. One of my favorite people since we know each other personally but also favorite draft writers as well so make sure you go follow him and read his work at cbs sports slash nfl slash draft or just on your twitter so chris great to catch up with you man i know it's a little bit of short notice but i appreciate you jumping on hey man thanks for having me yep for sure take care buddy uh chris trapasso there one of my favorite there's a there's only a handful of draft writers who i think have a really good process and he's one of them well, that's why I'm saying this about him. Like that, you should read his word. B plus, John. B plus, B Sorry. plus. Excuse me. All right. Uh, so, real quick before we wrap up today, I am a connoisseur of lists. Yes. An enjoyer of lists. Yes. People will say, "Oh, it's clickbait." Your top five, this or that. I enjoy them. I love debating over them and wondering who I would have put and, and so forth. And I used to love when I would get Sports Illustrated and they would have their top ten pass rushers or top 10 quarterbacks or whatever it might be. And the NFL put out its all-decade team today. And great, this is right up my alley. Something I wanted to talk about on the show. And so I pull up the defensive side, and I'm looking, I'm looking, and I'm seeing players who absolutely deserve to be there. Cameron Jordan, J.J. Watt, Aaron Donald, Luke Keekley is the linebacker, Patrick Willis, unbelievable in the decade, Vaughn Miller is an outside linebacker. Uh, it's a weird thing to, the outside linebacker, edge rusher thing is weird, but okay, all right. Khalil Mack, Vaughn Miller, great. Can't argue with the corners. Patrick Peterson, Darrell Revis, Richard Sherman, absolutely. We get to the safeties, and I'm just at a complete loss that Harrison Smith is not here. Eric Berry, Earl Thomas, and Eric Weddle are the safeties. I think that Harrison is probably better than Eric Weddle, yeah. not better than Earl Thomas, but Eric Berry barely played in the decade. And he was injured all the time and then dealt with cancer, which probably helped his case here, which is a weird thing to say. And I don't mean to come off awful by saying it, but you know, he got a lot of pub for coming mm-hmm. back, but he didn't play that much. And Harrison Smith in 2017 played the best safety that you could possibly play aside from Ed Reed or aside from Troy Polamalu at his best or Earl Thomas as a center field safety at his best, the impact that he had on the number one defense in 2017. And then he's been consistently an elite player in his position where, I mean, Weddle I think has been a little more up and down. I would still say he's he's good. And then they have just a defensive back position, which, okay, I, I guess. And Chris Harris, who's a great slot corner, and Tyron Matthew. I really like Tyron Matthew. He was the original weed guy. Mm -hmm. That's where my saying came from. Always draft the weed guy. But Tyron Matthew has not been better than Harrison Smith over the last five, six, seven years. 
He hasn't. I mean, this year he was tremendous. He had another year in, in Arizona and with Houston where he's really good, and I think he's a great player. And one of those guys that's ahead of his time for being a rover who could play outside corner or inside or safety or whatever, I love Tyron Matthew and watching him play. He's not more valuable than Harrison Smith. So that's at least two, possibly three of these guys who did not deserve this over Harrison Smith. And the uh, level of play that Harrison has put on the field over the last five or six years has put him in the Mike Zimmer era. The, the level of play he's put on the field has put him in the category of being a bubble Hall of Famer mm-hmm. in my mind. And, and he barely misses games. That's right. That's the other. That is the other point of this is that he's been incredibly durable along the way. He missed one or two games. What in 2016, and the defense fell yeah. apart. Yeah, he missed. He missed a couple games in 2015, 16. He missed half the season in 2013. But other than that, he doesn't miss games. Yeah, I mean Eric Berry had one, two, three, four seasons. Completely shot. He only played one, two, three, four, five. He only played five seasons during the decade. Eric Berry did um, because of injuries, and he's really good, no doubt about it. Really good player. But is he as good as Harrison Smith, who led a number one defense by playing every darn position? Probably not quite as deserving because of a lot of the injuries, and then you know he had to miss the season. Eric Berry was a three-time All-Pro, which helps his case. Five-time Pro Bowler. Um, so, you know, it's not like he's got no case whatsoever, but Harrison is also a five-time Pro Bowler and has played, as you mentioned, he only missed half of one season in 2013. Every other year, he's played at least 13 games, and that has to factor in at some point. Harrison Smith is just always getting forgotten about. Yeah, and, I don't uh, understand it. Not not flashy, I guess, is probably the biggest explanation. Is it he's but he's not as vocal as maybe some of these other guys? Yeah, it could be. Uh, or he just hasn't ever had a, a storyline about him. Yeah. Like Eric Berry, a lot of these other guys, they'll be the center of whatever main broadcast is on every time they're on it, but not him. It's also really hard to watch the Vikings defense play and miss Harrison Smith. You see him all over the place whenever they're playing. So I don't understand how he misses this list. Yep, I don't either. But anyway, that's that's how it goes for Harrison. So, all right, uh, Mackie and Judd with Rami coming up next. Tomorrow we will have Matt Bowen on. So he's going to break down. We can ask him about Harrison Smith not being on the all-decade team. So we'll do that with Courtney Cronin tomorrow. We'll catch you then here on Purple Daily. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh cosmic crisp apples. There are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.